said, my name is Thomas Hudson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to uh, preach and start our Advent series, um, actually uh, covering one of the topics that has uh, just been one of those things that has blessed me, <laughs> that has blessed me and has been an encouragement to me uh, really ever since I studied the book of Isaiah, um, uh, which is the blessing of God's presence. And uh, I, I pray that it is an encouragement to you, especially uh, in these dark, dark days in which we find ourselves. But uh, we have started our day with the lighting of a candle. And you see a wreath up here. And uh, the Shambles, thank you so much for starting out our Advent uh, time of the year and season. But some of you may be asking, well, what is exactly Advent? Um, well, what does it mean? Why, why is the church taking a special time, even the whole month, to set apart time to, to celebrate the Advent? Well, uh, Advent, first, is a, a call for us to look back and celebrate the first coming of our Christ. The first Christmas. By doing so, we are reminded that uh, all of what God did to prepare the time for the Savior to be born. Second, we're looking at our current season, preparing our own hearts to celebrate a day of remembrance that is coming upon us yet again. December the 25th, the day where we set aside time to celebrate the fact that Christ was indeed born. And then third, that this season of Advent, we're looking at our own story and remembering the beautiful story of Christ coming to us, Christ coming to me, and to those of you here who believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, Christ coming to you. And He came into our lives by giving us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in order that we might be conformed into His image. For some, it is a time to remember this, and for others, it may be a time to receive His good news and His own coming into your life today, even. But last, we not only look to the past and look to our present, but we are looking forward to a future coming, a future advent of Christ. Because there is a day where He will indeed come again and rule every heart and every creature in the universe, and He will receive all the worship that is due His name. And He will be celebrated as our God and our Savior. So for us, Christmas or the season of Advent is a glimpse of that day, and we should celebrate it with all the joy that we feel and know when His love has conquered all. And we are serving in His, serving and living in His kingdom for all eternity. So throughout this this Advent celebration, we are going to celebrate the, that the, in the fact that Christ has indeed come to His people, and we're going to look all the way back into the prophet Isaiah to see where over and over and over again Isaiah prophesies in the midst of judgment that there is a coming one. Who will bless us? Who will shoulder the burden? Who will be crushed for us? That we might believe in Him and have an eternal hope and glory and presence with God. So, if you will, 
Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. This is where we're going to start our Advent series in the the, uh, prophecy of Isaiah. I'm going to read Isaiah 1 to 17 for us and then give us a little context because I think it's going to be very helpful. Um, I just want to ask you, you're probably going to hear a lot of names and a lot of historical facts that you're just unfamiliar with. So bear with me as I read these things, and then we're going to unpack them this morning and see how this is a blessing to us. So Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of reason and of in Syria and the son of Ramallah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramallah has devised evil against you, saying, let's go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it ourselves and set up the son of Tabil as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is reason. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramallah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you would weary my God also? Therefore, The Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when He knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king 
of Assyria. <clears throat> so like I said, we need a little bit of context here. Well, the year is about 740 B.C., some 300 years or 350 years after the reign of King David. Most historians put King David around the year 1000, and that's liberal and faithful Protestant scholars who would agree on that. Um, and then Isaiah ministers from 740 B.C. to around 687 B.C. Um, we are very familiar with chapter 6, uh, which is Isaiah's call and then commissioning into uh, the ministry that God has called him to be a prophet to Israel, to take this news of judgment, both of the Assyrian judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel and the, Bab the coming Babylonian uh, judgment some 200 years later against the southern kingdom of Israel. And then from 613, from the end of 613 to 7-1, about 10 years pass. So it's about 730 B.C. when the prophecy that we're looking at takes place. Okay, so specifically the situation that Isaiah is prophesying about is the enticement of, to the king, to king Ahab by both the kings of Syria and the king of Israel, or the northern kingdom. They want King Ahaz to join them in a military alliance with Israel and Syria to be against the Assyrian army and coming conquest. They, they know that Assyria is growing in power. They see Assyria waging war all around them and they're trying to protect themselves with treaties and persuading King Ahaz, please join an allegiance with us. Be our ally that we might keep Assyria out of our, our, out of our land. But King Ahaz received word that the king of Syria, which is not to be confused with the Assyrian king, has formed an alliance with the king of Israel so that they can now invade or pressure Judah and the southern kingdom and then ultimately remove Ahaz from the throne. Isaiah goes to the king and tells him that the Lord is determined that this will not happen. It shall not come to pass, is what the Lord says to Ahaz. And directs Ahaz to ask for a sign. So, like, how will Ahaz know outside of the Lord just telling him, which is really should be enough? But God says, I will grant you a sign if you will just merely ask me for a sign. But Ahaz refuses, cloaking it, cloaking his refusal in some pious language. I, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. But the real reason is that Ahaz has already set his heart on another plan. Instead of trusting quietly in God, he has run to Assyria for help. I would encourage you to read 2 Kings chapter 16-20 to where it tells the story of Ahaz and how he goes to make a pact with Assyria to keep, to keep Israel and Syria out of his country. 
So the gist of Isaiah's prophecy here in chapter 7 that goes all the way to chapter 9 is to actually dissuade Ahaz from joining this alliance. Like, Do not put yourself in allegiance with the Assyrians. Or, and don't go to the, the, don't fall in with Rezin and Pekah, the kings of Israel and Syria. This section begins with the narrative hints of a historical situation in 7 through 9. So it's all about the history of what's going on. So it sets Isaiah's prophecy in a time period, which we talked about a second ago, 740, 730 BC. Then this historical portion is followed by a sign of Emmanuel, which means God with us, designed to entrust or to, to instill trust that God will indeed be with his people and deliver them from the invasions, from the punishment, if they would merely turn to him and trust him. While this, is, this had a specific meaning and fulfillment in the days of Ahaz and Isaiah, we can see that there's a greater context to these, uh, these chapters 7 to 9, where there are at least two horizons in the text, okay? Or there is a, there's a near horizon, there's going to be a near fulfillment of the prophecy, and then there's going to be a future fulfillment. You could think about this as like a, an immediate partial fulfillment of the prophecy where there, Isaiah will actually be blessed with another child. His name will be Marshallah Ashbaj. You can say that really ten, ten times fast after you leave the service. All right. Who will be the partial fulfillment? That's in chapter 8. We're not going to go there today. But then we know that there's a future complete fulfillment of this prophecy because... We know in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, Matthew brings forward this prophecy to say that Jesus will be named Emmanuel and He will be God with us. And in the midst of everything, what we see is that God's presence then is a blessing to His people even while there is severe judgment falling all around them for God to call His people back to Himself. So what I want us to see in Isaiah chapter 7, 1-17 to is that God's presence is a blessing. God's presence is a blessing because it sustains His people. He keeps His promises while He is present. And He is indeed with us. He's not merely just saying, I'm with you. This happened earlier this morning. I, I told Truett that Truett still needs help in the restroom. And I, I told him I would be with him in the restroom. Well, I, I let him go to the restroom and then I walked out. That's not what God does to us. God says He's going to be with us. He is with you. And now today, for those of us who believe and trust in Him, He is with us in a way that is completely unimaginable. That the, the holy God of heaven, the creator and sustainer of the whole earth, for those of us who believe in Christ Jesus, He dwells within us as the Holy Spirit. But I want us to see this morning from Isaiah that God's presence is indeed a blessing. So let's first look at the fact that His presence sustains His people. 
Look with me back with, at verses 3 and 4. Specifically, uh, God says to go to, to Isaiah to go to Ahaz and say, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shur Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. For these two smoldering stumps and firebrands at the fierce anger of reason of Syria and the son of Ramallah. Now, I will tell you as best I can that I believe that it would truly be a fearful and dreadful thing when your own kinsmen make a treaty with a foreign nation to, de to depose you out of anger and to, and to create a, 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 a sense of security for themselves. At your expense, we're going to create a situation where we feel secure and safe. But the Lord can, be still, can still be trusted. God is the one who with the perspective of all of history he sees and knows all. He doesn't see with the eyes of men like Ahaz and the people do, because what do they do? They see their kinsmen rising against them, a treaty made against them with another foreign nation, and they quiver like a branch in the wind. They are so timid and fearful at the mere plans of men. But God sees Ephraim the king of Israel or the northern kingdom as a smoldering stump or a firebrand, which is just a, a branch that's still hot and smoldering after an all-consuming fire has burnt up the tree. God sees and knows the utter destruction of these two devious kings and now will destroy and, and then nothing will destroy or remove those who are truly God's people. Nothing will shake them. He is their God. He is with them. And all this comes out when Isaiah takes his son, Shear Jashub, and if you look down in the footnote in your Bible, it means a remnant will remain. A remnant will remain. God is going to do what is necessary to keep His people, even a small group of those people, alive and well in the presence of warring nations. Nothing will remove them from His hand. He reassures King Ahaz through Isaiah's presence, through Isaiah's prophecy and Isaiah's son, that He will be with them. And He will preserve them. A remnant will remain. And remember back when we went through John chapter 6, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees and to the disciples about those whom the Father gives Him? My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of My hand. They will never... I mean, and My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There is nothing that can remove us from the protective hand of God if we are indeed His. God, our God, is an all-knowing sovereign who sustains us with a reassuring knowledge and power even though things may look very bleak and very discouraging. 
He can see past the circumstances that blind us. God can see past the circumstances that blind us. And He has a firm grip on what will and will not happen. How oftentimes we find ourselves so anxious in the midst of discouraging and tough times to fabricate what might happen. Does it ever come to pass? Maybe once in a thousand times it comes to pass that we fabricate it in our mind in anxiety. And friends, I'm going to just say this. We are truly living in unprecedented times. To, to me, to my knowledge, no one I know who has, has ever lived through a global pandemic. We are doing that now together. But friends, how easy our hearts grow faint, faint at the mandates of government leaders around us. How quickly, friends, we are given over to pandemonium, even in our own hearts. When cases of this wretched disease spike and people continue to lose their lives. We live and respond. We live and respond at times as though God did, did not know that such events would take place. Is he really in control? Can he really stop the virus? Is he an all-powerful, all-knowing God who can sustain us? Who will keep us? But did our God not say wars and rumors of wars, antichrist and earthquakes and famines and pestilence would come and but be the birth pains of the second advent of Christ? Did not the Apostle Paul tell us that nothing, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation, including disease, would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. We will remain. God's faithful children will remain. COVID-19 and government overreach into your lives cannot cut you off from the sustaining presence of God. It can't do it. There is no edict of any king or governor or mayor that can cut God off from being present with you today. You have no reason to fear, friend. Dear brother, dear sister, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. He has you. And He has the world in His mighty right hand. Rest and do not be anxious. He sustains us with His presence. And also, He keeps His promises in our presence. As He is present with us, he makes promises to those uh, to us and He will fulfill those promises. If God has said something in His Word, it will come to pass. And if there is something that rises that is contrary to the Word, it will not come to pass. Look with me at verse 7. This is a reminder to Isaiah and to King Ahaz that the house of David will remain enthroned 
in the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 7, Thus says the Lord, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. Friends, those should be comforting words to us. Because if there is any lie that you believe from the pit of hell, it shall not come to pass. Whatever the lie that Satan is telling you that makes you question and doubt God's word, it shall not come to pass. Only the word of God will come to pass. Men can plan and scheme, but nothing will come to pass that does not accomplish the plans, the purposes, and the promises of God. God made a promise to David some 350 years before Isaiah's prophecy. Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, "And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." For the king of Israel and the king of Syria to plan to put someone else upon the throne of the house of David would mean that David's lineage would end. There would no longer be a king in the lineage of David's name on the throne in, in, in Jerusalem. But God would not allow such an atrocity to happen. God is the great keeper of His word and His promise. No one, no king, foreign or domestic, is able to undo the promise of God. Our God is an unchanging God. Specifically, He is unchanging in His promises. Once God has declared something or promised something, He will not be unfaithful to that promise. He will keep His Word. And as Moses reveals in Numbers 23, God is not man that He should lie or the Son of Man that He should change His mind. He has said, or has He said, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken and will He not fulfill it? And we live in a present age of a promise of Christ Jesus that He gave to the New Testament church in Matthew chapter 28. As He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what does Jesus say? Behold, I'm going away and you won't see me anymore. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are blessed to have the promise of Christ be with us always. He has even fulfilled this promise. By sending thus the Holy Spirit who is present with us always. As John 14.16 will tell us, as I, and I will ask the Father, as Jesus is going to be with the Father, I will ask Him. And He will give you another Helper. And he will be with you forever. What a blessing the promised presence of our God truly is. He is with us. 
He has not left us. And He has made promises to us that He will indeed keep. So how are you doing, friend and brother and sister, with the little Christian discipline of contentment? Is your heart content with the presence of God with you? Are you satisfied with the innumerable blessings and of the merciful Lord has poured out on you this very moment? I'm afraid, friends, in these dark days that there's a great temptation where we are being lured to believe that our discontent can be filled with our lusts. Our flesh being pleased and our seeming lack being met by something or someone on this earth. But let me urge you. Let me urge you, do not allow the desires of your flesh, your eyes, the pressures of this world to drive you to more fleshliness and worldliness. Do not turn to the things that you can gain without the Lord's help. They will fail you. They were never meant to bear that burden or that weight. Turn you to your all-satisfying, caring, and loving Lord because in His presence are 10,000 charms and blessings forevermore. Fulfillment will only be possible if fulfilling comes from God and His presence. All other attempts and resources will fail you and leave you less content than before. You need God and you need a grateful and thankful heart for all that He has blessed you with at present. And whether you're here with us in person or online, just think about this for a minute. God has blessed you with breath in your lungs, a mind, clothes, shoes, a seat or a couch that you're sitting on. He's given you church Family members who care for your souls, your conduct, and your witness. And, he, and then they even pray for the souls of your loved ones. He's given you means of transportation to get your food that you eat, whether you drive to the grocery store or DoorDash delivers it. He has blessed the world with farmers who are toiling in pig, corn, fruit, nut, grain, and cow farms or a multitude of other farms so that we can have food in our markets and on our tables. He has blessed many with talents and jobs that can be blessings to others and a blessing to the nations. Oh, our sufficient Lord has blessed us sufficiently. Be thankful and be content. For He is our great blessing. He is your blessing if you trust in Him today. And would you, instead of being discontent, would you proclaim with the psalmist as he does in Psalm 84.10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness.
For the Lord God is the sun and the shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Are you blessed by the presence of God who sustains you and keeps His promises to you? And lastly, what we find in this text is that God is indeed actually with us. He is present. There's a theological term called omnipresent, meaning that He is present in all places in all times. He does act differently in different ways in those times. Sometimes to judge as we see in Israel in the text. Sometimes to bless. But He is a faithful, present God. And He will never leave us and never forsake us. Look with me at verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. So Ahaz refuses the sign in an arrogant way, in all honesty, because he has another plan. He doesn't want to trust in God's plan. I got this, Lord. I'm going to go talk to the king of Assyria. The Lord says, I will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Again, look at the footnote there. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, what is significant about God making this promise? to Isaiah and the people of Israel in this text right now. Because friends, if you read verses 18 to the end of the chapter, what you see is God is about to pour His horrific judgment out on the people of Israel. And He says, even while I judge you, I will be with you. Verse 18 tells us Israel will face a completely consuming enemy that is everywhere. Is our enemy not everywhere, friend? They will be naked and shaved before the nations and shamed in verse 20. They will face economic upheaval where they will only have little to live off of in the land in verses 20 to 21. And the land that was so bountiful and plentiful that they simply had to hoe it with a hoe and plant seed and it would spring forth vegetation that they could eat. In verses 21 to 22, that, or this, verses 23 to 25, that land will only be good for cattle grazing and sheep grazing with thorns and thistles. God's judgment will be poured out upon them because they have trusted in everything else but God. Isaiah 3.8 goes as far to say this. It says, For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying His glorious presence. So although God was with them, even present in the temple, they still bowed to false idols and false God and feared the ways of men or feared men in their presence. They didn't fear the Lord. They didn't trust in Him. But God never leaves them. 
He is still there for Israel to turn, for them to turn and ask for relief. I would encourage you to go uh, read Amos chapter 4, where God talks about this judgment and how he's going to take things away in this judgment. And every at every time he takes something away, he's pruning Israel to say, stop trusting in that thing and turn to trust in me. So if you feel like you are being neglected or God is cutting something out of your life, maybe he's telling you to kill your false idols and turn to him and trust in him. What an amazing thing. What is amazing here is that although this horrific judgment is going to befall in 740 Israel, and in 582, it's going to befall the southern kingdom of Judah, God is constantly calling them to trust in Him. But in all of it, we read earlier that there's going to be a remnant they will not be utterly crushed under the judgment. God is actually gracious in judgment. He keeps a remnant alive and feeds them with meager provisions, which is a pointer to Christ. Israel even is even if Israel is blotted completely out, if everyone in Israel is killed, and God is done with Israel for the punishment of their sins. Guess what? Their death would not be sufficient payment for the sin and treason against an ever present God. Even the blood of men. Sinful, unrighteous, ungodly idolaters is not enough to satisfy God. There is a planned future fulfillment of the presence of God where Christ will drink the cup of the wrath of God to fully satisfy the demands of God's judgment and justice. Jesus Christ came in His first advent to live the perfect life while being a meager carpenter with no home. Sounds like economic distress. He took upon Himself the wrath of God that sinners deserve to be shamed and stripped naked and nailed to the tree as Israel will be shamed and shaven bare and paraded before their enemy Assyria and Babylon. The judgment of God against humanity would be fully satisfied in His body on the tree. This nobody from Nazareth would die on a cross for sinners like Israelites, sinners like you, and sinners like me. Jesus living and dying for sinners is the greatest news the world has ever known. Because if you believe in God's fulfillment, fulfilled promise to deal justly with sin by crushing His very own Son, by being present in judgment, to actually bear it for us on our behalf, then you, then He will grant you eternal life. Today can be the day, friend, that you fully trust in Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, who will sustain you, who will keep His promises to you and be ever-present from this day forward. Please speak with me or one of our prayer counselors or a Christian friend after the service, if you are ready to believe in Christ Jesus today. 
And as wonderful as, as this news is, friends, I would be unfaithful to the message of Scripture that if I did not tell you that, there, that, that although that God did judge Israel, and although Christ took the just penalty of sin upon Himself for those who trust in God, friends, there is a day, a final day of judgment coming. And on that day, God's presence for those who do not believe in Christ, who love sin, who do evil, who act unjustly, who mistreat the fatherless and align themselves with Satan, His presence will be no blessing. There will be eternal torment and an outpouring of fire and the anger of God against sinners on that day. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth on that day. That day will come upon us quickly and it could be very well this day. You must ask yourself with a clear conscience. Am I ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? Christ is present with us today. He's encouraging us, equipping us with His Word. He's given us the Holy Spirit to aid us if we believe in Him and trust in Him that we might reflect God's character. Follow His commands. Remain faithful until the end. Therefore, we should renounce ungodliness and worldly passions as we live in His presence to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ as we see in Titus chapter 2, 11-13. So God's presence is indeed a blessing. He sustains us. He keeps His promises. And He is indeed with us. Therefore, this season of Advent is a time for us to settle ourselves, quieting our hearts to remember that our God and our Savior is present. He promised that He would come and has remained with us, giving us the Holy Spirit he sustains us, continually keeping, keeps His promises to us and is ever present, present, present with us as we wait for that blessed day. That day when those from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language will be in white robes washed by the blood of the Lamb and sheltered with the presence of God. I want to leave you with these final words of God in the book of Revelation. Starting in verse in chapter 7, the text is going to be behind me. I encourage you to read along with me. I'll read out loud. You just follow along silently. John writes, Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones that are coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and have served Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His what presence. 
and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb is in their midst of the throne, will be in the, the, the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And then in Revelation 21, God says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away in the presence of God. Your blessing this day. Do you trust in Him? Are you prepared for that day? Let us pray. Oh God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your sustaining promises. Thank You for Your sustaining presence. Oh God, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and edified and challenged. God, that we would find our comfort in You and You alone. That the, the blessing would be to be in Your courts merely a butler at Your door. Oh God, may we rest, may we be quiet, be still, have no fear, for you are with us. We pray all of these things, believing them to be so in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.